the Shakers used to dance when they came to worship. That's what they were called, you know, the Shakers. Back about the time that Methodists were being formed into this renewal community by John Wesley in England, the Shakers, too, in England were being formed into a renewal community. They were spontaneous in the flow of joy from their life which must be expressed in some fashion and so if you can imagine when the preaching was going on or when the singing especially was being offered up to God that there were persons that could not withhold just dancing before the Lord over the years this became less spontaneous and more choreographed, which is probably for the better for organized worship. But can you imagine being in a setting where worship was offered through dance? I remember singing a, at church camp a little shaker chorus Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free, tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when you find yourself in this place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed to turn turn will be our delight till by turning turning we come round right now that is a beautiful beautiful thought isn't it the the uh, tune itself is so lyrical but the thought is what i want to put before us today to turn turn and to come round right to live life in a way that simply embraces the idea of God's kingdom come on earth, beginning with our lives here, with the decisions that we are making, with this covenant renewal in our spirits. Oh, these shakers were trying in their own way to put first things first. I wouldn't doubt that some of you have some shaker style furniture in your home which has as its great mark the simplicity of the lines just making it useful for what it was intended to do these were the aspects that made the shakers so powerful there are other aspects that made them very weak they believed in celibacy and because of that they have spent the last 200 years becoming smaller and smaller in their numbers to the point that there is only a handful of persons that now call themselves shakers. They wished and dared to live a life of sharing everything they had 
was shared by the community of which they were a part. They lived their lives simply consuming as only that which was essentially needed in their lives. And they sought to love God above all. We are prompted in our thinking, perhaps, that a little more won't hurt. And in fact, a little more is better than a little less. We bridge the gap between what we do not have and longing for that which we know God must intend for us to have. And either with ambition or just with a sense of anxiety that we might not get what is ours, we live out our days. You remember when the Apostle Paul shared with his protege in the gospel, Timothy, he said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I find it interesting that Mark Twain, the humorist and author of years past, he said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> Leave it to Samuel Clemens to speak such humor. The lack of money is the root of all evil. A writer that I love to follow, Chad Myers, he said in one of his writings that he had been on a street in L.A. and had observed an extraordinary street preacher who was carrying a sign emblazoned with the words, the consciousness of scarcity is the root of all evil. Now that was a very literate street preacher. The consciousness of scarcity is the root of all evil. But did you pick up on that in the midst of the reading this morning? Because that is exactly what Jesus is warning us about. Carrying with us this consciousness of scarcity. And not acknowledging the damage that it can do. If we live out our days thinking there's not quite enough. There is not quite enough. It doesn't matter at what level of society you find yourself. You can be plagued with the idea there's not quite enough. There's not quite enough. And this etches its way upon our heart. And it stains the relationship that we wish to have with God and with each other. Oh, we like to be full to overflowing and it is that type of of work that goes on in grocery stores every day is to send you the message that there's more than you could ever need I was a grocer once not a grocer I was a bag boy I was a bag boy and one of the jobs that I have not only was to 
put the groceries in the bags and carry them out to the cars for the customers. Do you remember those days? But whenever there was not a customer checking out, our job was to be in the aisles and blocking the groceries, which meant bringing the groceries to the front edge of the shelves in order that when you walked through, you thought to yourself, this grocery store is packed with groceries. Even when just a few cans back, the shelves might be empty. But the reason is that people want to see this overflowing abundance. And you and I seek this in our own life, in our ways of living, rather than to think about the beauty of trusting all of life to God's care. Stress and anxiety about what God might provide can become a terrible affliction. And of course, part of the answer, because there is true need, even if you are not fully aware of it, there is true need here in our community. There is evidence of that almost on a daily basis as we have persons to stop by the church office and ask for assistance who have no place else to turn. There is true need even in our community. And so part of the answer, part of the answer to this affliction of stress and anxiety is to care for the community, which you were doing. I've been fascinated with how many of you have brought blankets in order to stack one on the other in the basket that is just outside of the church office over this last couple of months. And this drive will continue as long as we have cold weather because there will be need. Many of you have found other ways in which to bless people through our food ministry here at Pittman Park and through our REACH Fund, which cares for those that do stop by and are in need. I know that you have this as a part of who you are, but there is another aspect to this anxiety and this affliction of stress that we care for the community but we also put first things first in seeking the kingdom that God wishes to be a part of the world. You remember that in this sermon that Jesus' instruction was, do not worry. How do we save ourselves from worry? How do we fasten our attention to the way in which God wishes to bless us. Jesus uses two parables. The parable of the birds of the air. In Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, in Martin Luther's commentary, he said the birds are happy and sing with joy, not knowing when they have anything 
to eat. Think about that for just a little bit. Isn't that the truth? When you get up in the morning and you hear a bird singing and chirping for happiness sake, this is what birds do, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. But they survive, do they not? They move from one day to the next trusting in God's provisions. And the lilies of the field... And how beautiful they are. You and I are too enamored with the lilies of a, a florist shop. Or the lilies of a, a florist stand in a grocery store. You and I are, are so interested in cut flowers or, or potted plants that have got this culture around them. And this focus. But Jesus is talking about the wild flowers that just grow by themselves out of this magnanimous nature of God's love for the world simply to sustain these little living, living plants by the side of a road who seem to have enough within them, enough joy within them to celebrate the longevity of their short existence. And they bloom with such fervor, even greater are they clothed than Solomon is clothed in all his glory. What an interesting thing to think about the wild flowers and how they live out their lives. And the birds of the air, how they live out their lives. Martin Luther and remembering the lilies of the field, lest we think that lilies live on and on and on. He says, he says these are the same flowers that get eaten by the cows. <laughs> and in fact, the ones that are even of less importance are the ones that get stepped on by the cows. Unless we think that somehow we are spared from death ever. Because life can be very difficult. Yet how is it that you feel that God is blessing you right now? Jesus is calling in this Sermon on the Mount. He is calling us not to be a worrisome people, either to ourselves or to other people, but to trust that God's sufficiency for this day is worth celebrating in this day. I can't help but think of Jesus is telling his disciples, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Not as the burden that would cramp our style or cripple our spirits, but to take on this life as a joyful act, remembering God's great love. When I was a boy, you've heard me say before that my parents carried us on long camping trips across the United States. We had a car top carrier that my father had built and had painted the same as the top 
of our old Chevrolet Impala. So we would set out on these journeys and whenever we would stop we would get out the tent and we would set it up and we would camp there. One of these trips took us to Arizona and we visited the petrified forest. Do any of you remember the petrified forest? It's a fascinating place because there you can actually witness trees that fell who knows how long ago. I mean, how long does it take for wood to turn into stone? Come on now, that is an answer for somebody that's smarter than me. But I can tell you one thing, it takes a long time for something like that to happen. But you can witness, you can witness this even to this day that wood turned to stone. Now, I've begun reflecting on this in my mind. What in the world could make a tree want to turn into stone? Maybe the tree was saying, oh, I don't want to turn into stone. In fact, I'm not stone. But yet stone it is today for us to witness. What my fear is, is that the same living thing that somehow gave up the ghost and became petrified might be the parable of all who simply say, I'm going to stay like I am. I'm going to hold down the fort here. I'm going to hold on to all that God has given me. And I'm going to be stayed in this place. Have you ever witnessed anybody becoming petrified? I have. People that don't see what it's doing to their hearts. And how coarse they become in their concern for the world. And in their concern to put first things first. These trees may have worried themselves to death. Who knows? They certainly lost all semblance of life. John Wesley conducted covenant services all through the year. In fact, the first recorded covenant service that John Wesley purportedly had was in August, not at January the 1st, as he preferred doing, he set up, set up a process of those early Methodists that were in London celebrating a watch night service, which became a covenant service that lasted three hours on December the 31st as people came and pledged their covenant once again before God using the same invitation and the same prayer that we have just spoken a, a few moments ago. He borrowed these words from Richard Allen, this Puritan preacher who had such a desire to live a godly life. And John Wesley called Methodists to be holy, to seek first the kingdom of God in all that they did. And so he would celebrate this 
in January or April or June or August or October. And in his journal, he reflected on how lives were changed in the midst of that service and how persons would weep at the invitation to know once again God's love renewed within their heart. Today is a chance to reflect and covenant again. And now we have already shared in this prayer. And it has gone from the screen. And what do we do? Well, let me tell you what you can do is to go look in the weekly updates in the pastor's corner because I posted it there this week. You can use it as your prayer. It should be used for a number of days to remind you what you have spoken before God as we move into this new year. Some folk believe that the most important question that a Christian could ever put before a person who does not know Christ is the question, are you saved? But that's not a Methodist question. <laughs> Some of you have heard me say before, and I remind you, that the more Methodist question is, are you in the process of being saved? And I am so bold as to ask that question of myself and you this day. Are you in the process of being saved? Or are you in the process of becoming petrified? You see? Because those are the two choices that we have. That our hearts are turning stone cold and becoming petrified. Or God is renewing us daily to put first things first. You and I are called to take everything that we have and offer it to God. To bloom with all our might to sing our bird song with all that we have in us in order that we convey the greatest joy that might ever be expressed before a God who has loved us so. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and you know his story, don't you? And how his life was taken too early. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. In the wilderness, God gave Israel the manna every day, and they had no need to worry about food and drink. Indeed, if they kept any of the manna over until the next day, it went bad. In the same way, the disciple must receive his portion from God every day. So first things first. Will you join me in seeking first 
the kingdom of God.